Today's podcast is with Coach Herb Hand, who is now at Texas. He joined us to talk ball at the end of the 2016 season while he was at Auburn. This is one of my favorite podcast episodes that we've done. I know you're going to enjoy it. In this episode, Auburn University's coach Herb Hand shares some valuable insight into being a successful coach on and off the field. We talk about Coach Hand's early experiences in climb up the coaching ladder, as well as the support he received from his wife in the process. The necessity of having great personal support, structure, daily emphasis on the field, and a teaching structure for offensive line. How coach builds a culture within his offensive line unit. The mistakes of a young coach and what to learn from it. What a coach can do to help his players be recruited what he looks for in an offensive lineman, striking a balance between career, family, and health, using virtual reality and training the offensive line, the way to address the challenges of our industry, the winning edge, which he identifies as chemistry and a spirit the cores of a team, and much, much more. We are truly honored to have one of the great offensive line coaches from the college ranks, Herb Hand. Coach Hand has been a key component in some of the most explosive offenses in NCAA history. He reunited with Gus Malzahn for the 2016 season, joining Malzahn's Auburn coaching staff as the offensive line coach. Prior to Auburn, he helped develop the offenses at Clemson, West Virginia, Tulsa, Vanderbilt, and Penn State. Coach Hand, welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Show. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, It's a pretty cool thing you're doing and really enjoyed uh, listening to some of your podcasts already. Well, I appreciate it. Coach, let's get right into it and go back to the beginning for you. What made you want to be a football coach? Well, um, you know, growing up, obviously being very involved in, in sports in general, just not, not just football, but uh, in athletics in general, you know, coaches uh, have always had a big impact in my life. And, um, uh, you know, as, as I went through college, um, I just came to realize that I was going to coach at some point. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. I kind of thought that uh, I was going to be in the business world and, and um, you know, would be coaching my, either like my kids, you know, youth league team or something along those lines. Right. And, um, but after graduating from school and, and then getting out in the quote unquote real world, you know, I, I, uh, quickly realized that I wanted to be, um, you know, be a coach as a profession and, uh, went down that route. You're with Rich Rodriguez at Glenville state early on, and you were at West Virginia Wesleyan before that. Was that your first job? Uh, my first job out of college was actually at Framingham South high school outside of uh, Boston, Massachusetts with a head coach by the name of Jack Diet Levy. Um, who uh, who was one of was my college head coach? Uh, Steve Frank was my college head coach, and Jack was was Coach Frank's college coach. So uh, the power of networking in this profession. But, but that was my first job at Framingham South High School, and then my first uh, collegiate job was at West Virginia Wesleyan College in Buchanan, West Virginia. Right, uh, and the head coach there was Bill Struble. Um, I, w- I worked there for three years and then went to Glenville State with uh, Rich Rodriguez um, after that. So, Coach, in those early days, what what things did you learn making that transition from being a player to a coach? What things did you learn during that time frame? Well, the, the first thing you learn is that um, as a player, you know, you, you, uh, you think you have a pretty good grasp on the game. And I think you, you learn pretty quick on as a coach that you didn't know as much uh, as a player as you thought you knew. Um, you know, particularly when it comes to um, the uh, you know the attention to detail uh, in in whether it's in scheme or whether it's in technique and fundamentals, just the the, the attention to detail that goes into. Uh, each and every play. Um, and then the other thing is, you, you, you know, you think that um, as a player, you know, you're putting in a lot of hours and you're putting in a lot of work. Um, and obviously from a physical standpoint, it's a little more demanding, but in terms of the, uh, the hours and the, uh, the amount that goes into putting a game plan together, a practice plan, uh, um, you know, just the little things, the little day-to-day things, 
Um, I don't think that as a player you have much of a, uh, a grasp on what exactly goes into uh, all that planning and preparation. Coach, you kind of quickly climbed the ranks from West Virginia Wesleyan, then you were at Glenville State, then Concord, and then you made it to, to Clemson. As, as you started to move up through the ranks, what were the biggest changes you noticed from division to division? Uh, well, the biggest change uh, going from – you know, Division Two football. I played Division Three football at Hamilton College in upstate New York, and then coached at the Division Two level for eight years uh, prior to going to uh, Clemson. And the biggest difference uh, between those is the uh, support staff that you have. You know, at the at the Division One level. Um, you know, as a coach at this level. You know, you can really, I think you focus on really three, there's three areas that you're able to focus on. Obviously, the, the coaching aspect of it, again, this, the scheme and the technique and fundamentals that you're coaching on a day-to-day basis and the development of your players. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's obviously what you're hired for, but the other part is the recruiting aspect of it. And then the third part is kind of the public relations aspect of it. Um, and, and you're really able to focus on those you know, at the division one level, whereas compared to, you know, the division two level, uh, I know my first job at West Virginia Wesleyan, um, I was, uh, uh, in charge of, uh, setting up and breaking down the practice field every day from an equipment standpoint. I had to do the laundry, uh, for the three years that I coached there. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're also doing the recruiting. You're obviously you're coaching, uh, you're helping your players with, uh, you know, with their uh, academics in terms of making sure that they're staying on schedule for graduation and you don't have a a huge uh, academic support staff like we have, um, you know, at Auburn, you know, you just don't have those, that, that support there. Um, You know, we did, we had our, our D line coach was our, was our strength coach. So you're monitoring the guys in the weight room as well. We didn't have a specific strength conditioning coach. So, you know, just the support staff uh, that you're able to have at the uh, the Division One level makes coaching football and being focused on those aspects of it that much easier. Coach, I know you're a student of the game and you're constantly watching film and tweeting some great examples out. I love when you do that. But as you've developed as a coach, what what are some key things you would point to in your learning that have a, had a positive effect on your career? Well, the 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 biggest thing for me, uh, from a, from a development standpoint was that in college, you know, I played offensive line in college. Um, but my first coaching job was coaching linebackers at West Virginia Wesleyan. And, um, you know, when I, when I got the job, uh, Bill Struble in the interview process, uh, you know, he asked me if I'd ever coached linebackers and or ever, ever played linebacker. And I said, no, I said, but I could block a linebacker. And that was, <laughs> that was about the extent of my experience, you know, uh, was working against linebackers. And um, so, uh, but having spent um, the first eight years uh, of my, my career uh, at the college level, uh, we're coaching defense. And the last five of those being a defensive coordinator, uh, at Glenville State and then also at Concord College um, really gave me a great appreciation for the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it also, uh, I think, has allowed me to become a better offensive coach in that, you know, the, the, the thing that if you want to win an argument, you know, you better know both sides. And um, so when you're breaking down a defense and you're able to, to look at it and, and you know, kind of understand some of the inherent weaknesses uh, in, in different schemes and um, ways to attack a defense, uh, as well as saying, hey, this is what they're seeing uh, from a defensive perspective and how to uh, how to attack you offensively. That, that was probably the biggest um, asset in terms of, you know, my, my development as a young coach was – spending those eight years uh, on the defensive side of the ball and then going to Clemson as a graduate and working with the offensive line. But, uh, you know, as you know, in the profession, when you're an offensive GA, you know, your big um, contribution, the biggest value you bring is, is in breaking down the opponent and preparing the scout teams and 
uh, you know, for the upcoming opponent. And so what Rich Rodriguez would do when he was the offensive coordinator at Clemson would, you know, he'd come in and he'd hand me the, the scripts for the day. Uh, and he'd just have the offenses scripted and he would say, Hey, defend us. You know, that's why that was one of the big reasons why I got hired at Clemson was because of my defensive coordinator experience. So they'd hand me the scripts and say, okay, uh, you're the defensive coordinator at, you know, NC state. So uh, what are you going to call for, you know, within the structure of their defense that we had prepared for that week? So that was a great experience as well. And then, you know, also having the opportunity to work with the offensive line, which is where my real passion is, um, having, you know, having played offensive line, but having the daily opportunity to work with those guys as well as continue to develop a great understanding of uh, defensive schemes and, and that sort of thing. So that, that was a, that was a huge aspect of it. Coach, obviously you've had uh, some coaches who made a great impact on you and, and I'm sure you learned from, and those things start to develop into a philosophy. What is the philosophy that you use to build your offensive line units? You know, it all starts for me with uh, kind of the, the idea that uh, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that really goes back to, uh, you know, the co- again, the coaches that had an impact uh, on my life as a uh, coming up through high school and, and, uh, and really new sports in high school and in college, you know, guys like Mike Davis, who was my offensive line coach at Hamilton College, uh, whose son, Justin, is actually, uh, you know, on the Navy staff right now. And, um, but Coach Davis had an incredible impact on, on, uh, on a lot of our lives um, at Hamilton. And a guy like Paul Aidey, uh, who's also, uh, he, he, he was a defensive line coach at Hamilton, but my senior year, he coached the offensive line. And he's been a kind of a, he's the rock, he's the glue of, of Hamilton College football. He's been uh, on the staff there for, probably close to 40 years, I would think. And, um, um, you know, my high school coach, Jerry Crignano, um, you know, the guys that I worked with along the way, uh, uh, you had already mentioned with Rich Rodriguez and Bill Struble and, and, uh, and then Tommy Bowden, you know, just watching those guys, uh, be very demanding of their players, uh, be, you know, ultra demanding of them, but also I don't think there's any doubt that the players know how much, uh, the guys care about them. And, you know, one of the, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, from Sun Tzu, uh, where he basically says, um, if you treat your men like your own beloved sons and they will follow you into the deepest valley. And, um, you know, I, I, that's kind of, how uh, I try to approach, uh, the relationship aspect of it with, with our players at Auburn, um, you know, is that, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to just like go with my own son and, and, uh, you know, and sometimes with your kids, that means there's tough love involved and um, there's nothing wrong with being demanding of them as long as you love them as hard. So, Coach, as you move from your philosophy to really building that culture in the unit, what specific things, whether it's some kind of strategies or some activities, uh, do you do to build that culture within your unit? You know, I think the biggest thing in, in building your culture um, is understanding shared accountability. You know, that's one thing that we talk a lot about uh, in our room um, is just the, uh, you know, particularly with the offensive line, you know, and it's such a unit mentality. Um, and, um, you know, having to develop that uh, idea that, uh, hey, I got your back, you got my back. Uh, I know I can count on you. Uh, I, you know, and it all boils down to that trust factor. Um, you know, in that, do you trust the guy that's sitting next to you or is standing next to you in the huddle or, um, you know, is, is uh, getting ready to execute uh, a particular play call on the field with you? You know, is that is the trust factor, and um, a lot of that is, to me, is has been always developed through. Um, you know, the, the kind of the shared hardships, you know, when you're putting a lot of pressure on guys and you're being very demanding of them. And, um, you know, and, and in our room, in our uh, O-line room, we say that there's no secrets in the, in the O-line room. There's no, uh, you know, uh, secret handshakes and wins and all that stuff. But I, I love all those guys. Uh, they know that, but I'm going to be very demanding of them. And I want them to be, be very demanding of each other and uh, to develop that, that idea of shared accountability. I think once you have that in your unit, um, that if, 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 if I was trying to or culture, if you will, 
in the offensive line unit um, at Auburn is, is, is that it's based on shared accountability and trust. As you move that onto the field, what are some of the best things that you're doing to teach your players the understanding they need to be able to execute with confidence? It starts with communication. You know, as with anything, um, you know, the uh, the center is is our kind of quarterback, if you will. I mean, he's a guy that, that, that sets the fronts, that IDs the fronts, that calls the blocking scheme. So really starts with him and, and – um, and uh, works its way out, if you will, and then back in because you know maybe the center can't exactly see what's going on on the perimeter, so the tackles have to be able to communicate as well. And so we try to we try to over communicate. You know, we try to uh, overemphasize the communication aspect of it so that we're all on the same page and um, that we all uh, you know we want to play with one set of eyes. We want them you know all seeing the same thing, and it starts with the communication aspect of it. Um, so we do a lot of work on um, front identification just from a scheme standpoint, you know, and, and making sure that we're all on the same page on what hats we're responsible for. Um, you know, it, in terms of, uh, um, you know, the other, uh, I guess, maybe base drill fundamentals that, um, that we do, uh, we do a daily uh, board progression. We have a progression of baseball drills that we do uh where we incorporate our boards and you know and I, and I listened the other day to your podcast with coach mcnally which i thought was awesome um and he was just talking about you know uh you know how he, he doesn't really necessarily use the shoots and the boards and and those sort of things and um uh, I'm, I'm in full agreement with the best type of reps uh, that you can get are when you're actually blocking people. And I think that that's an, a very important part of developing your offensive lineman. And, you know, at, at Auburn, I've, I've had the, it's been great working with Rodney Gardner, our D line coach, because we actually probably get, you know, 15, maybe sometimes 20 minutes a day of, fundamental work versus our defensive line where we're working base blocks, we're working combination blocks, we're working one-on-one pass pro, or we're working game pickup, you know, in the pass protection. So uh, that's been a tremendous help, but I do believe in, 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 you know, in a teaching progression, uh, if you will. And, and, and it starts out with your technique and fundamentals on, on the boards and teaching a proper base and proper footwork and, um, proper hand placement. So we have a progression that we work through, whether it's in our base blocking, um, where we start out with our board drills, or if it's in our combination blocking, which we do a lot of work on a Crowther sled and our combination blocks. And then we kind of progress those to, uh, you know, to the man versus man, uh, you know, it actually starts on air going through your footwork progression on air, and then we'll put a, 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 a blocking pad or a, a hand, a man with a hand shield across from him. We're working the fundamentals on pads on uh, either on that or on a sled. And then we progress it to where we are working it against a man. And then you work it into half line drills and, and uh, an inside run and then 11 on 11. So it's the whole concept of individual, individual, individual part, part, whole, and then the whole aspect of it. So that there's a progression to it, but we, we try to do some aspect of those base fundamentals every day uh, in our everyday drills. And, um, you know, those are kind of the non-negotiables that way when a guy gets out on the field, they have enough confidence in their, in their base technique and fundamentals where they can play fast and physical and they don't have to think as much. Uh, it's more just uh, muscle memory and, and, uh, and doing what they're trained to do. Coach, you've, you've been in two really distinct situations with coach Malzahn and with coach Rodriguez, who are guys who are pushing the fastest tempos that they can get in college football. I mean, they're two of the top teams as far as running plays fast. How does that change for your guys on game day and in preparing them to be able to run at that type of fast tempo compared to maybe a more pro style team who's out there making a lot of calls and adjustments before they snap the ball? Well, the, the big thing is when you're operating that tempo, that because you're operating fast, the defense has to operate fast as well. And, you know, you, you don't get uh, as uh, you can limit the looks that you're going to see, you know, whether it be their base front and uh, or some base blitz, blitz packages and whatnot. Um, when you're coming out of a huddle or, you know, and uh, uh, when you, you know, you're, you know, you're doing a lot of checks at the line of scrimmage, based on what the defense is showing you. Um, you know, when you have more hats to account for, 
uh, because of your personnel groupings. You know, if you're working out of, out of a traditional, more traditional sets, 21 personnel or some 12 or 13 personnel packages, 22 personnel is a lot of hats to account uh, account for in those in those situations. And you know, I've been at places that have done both, and there's there's pluses and minuses uh, to to you know to each. Uh, philosophy, if you will, you know, certainly when you're, when you're operating at tempo, the, the two things that, that you, that you hope to limit one is the, the number of looks that you can see because you are going fast. And then number two is that you want to count on your, on your conditioning level and the, um, you know, the, the, the preparation that you've gone through um, to get your guys into a position where you start to wear the defense down because of uh, your condition level and because of how fast you're operating. Coach, I know you guys use, uh, I don't know if you would call it the sugar huddle or what you guys call it. I've heard it called fire alarm, Um, but that short huddle where you're just a yard or so from the line of scrimmage and you guys turn around and and run the play is in about, I put a clock on it, you guys are somewhere around three and a half to four seconds, depending on if you use motion. A lot lot of times you guys are using the fly sweep motion. That's a a huddle we've tried to use and we've done some overloads and stuff like that out of it. We kind of faced, our problem was we started to get so much yelling and screaming to try to, as the defense is trying to adjust, we were struggling with a snap count. Um, What ways do you guys handle that or what suggestions would you have to kind of use that huddle that creates a little bit of chaos for the defense yet still be able to operate and uh, get the snap off quickly well the biggest thing is just simplicity and what you're doing coming out of those huddles because they may not be lined up they may not be exactly where you know you're going to draw them up on the grease board you know so you want to keep you want to keep it simple in terms of what you're trying to do whether it's a whether it's a full zone run or a, 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 a simple gap down you know power play um, where you, you're not trying to man block things um, they may be a sprint out pass or a, uh, a naked uh, um, a full slide protection things where your gap sound not necessarily trying to block specific hats I mean I think that those are always aspects that you want to take into consideration when you're when you're running out of that you know, that quick sugar huddle because they, the defense may not be exactly where you want them to be. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to hurry up to screw up. You know, you don't want to hurry up to, uh, to put yourself behind the change. You want to, you want to, you know, put yourself obviously in a great situation and put your, your, your players in a great situation for success. So when you're coming out of those sugar huddles is to, uh, is to uh, keep it simple. Coach, as you're putting your units together, and obviously this goes into the recruiting, which you guys are on the tail end of that as you're finishing up your class, what specific attributes are you looking for in those high school offensive linemen that you think will convert to something from, you know, obviously potential to ability and performance out on the field as they hit the college level? That's a, that's a good question. You know, I get that a lot with um, not only from uh, coaches, but from parents and, and, and things when it comes to the recruiting process. You know, the, there are some key attributes that we look for uh, with offensive linemen. The number one thing that you've, or I should say the first thing that I always check when we, when we put the film on is flexibility. You know, is can a guy bend? Uh, can he bend his ankles? Can he bend his knees? Can he bend his hips? Can he get into a stance? You know, we could coach him on the details of the stance, but can he actually physically bend in those areas? Because if, if a guy's got stiff ankles, you know, that's hard to fix. If a guy's a waist bender and not a knee bender, those things are, you, you, you know, you'd like to think that you can coach them up on those, but a lot of those, a lot of those things are hard to fix. So we like guys with great flexibility um, that can bend at the ankles, knees, and hips. I like guys, obviously, that can move their feet. You know that that are not heavy-footed. Now that doesn't mean that I want guys that are playing on their toes. I think that that's an issue as well. You know, as an offensive lineman, you want to see guys with their cleats in the ground and um, that they can play with a base and keep their feet moving and and uh, not get off balance. A lot of times when you turn on film, you see guys that are on the ground. It's because they're 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 playing too top-heavy. They're playing too much on their toes and they're not able to keep their cleats in the ground. Uh, I think that's a that's a big aspect of it. So, but we want guys that can move their feet we want guys that are you know that are that are, that are tough guys guys that understand uh the physical aspect of the game guys with a finisher's mentality you know and then the, probably the most important part of it and and really is becoming even 
more important as you know as, as time has changed i guess maybe in the last 10 15 years or so is you know you really want guys that love football that love football uh, because there's some people that love recruiting and there's other people that love football and i want guys to love the game i want guys that um, you know because when you get to the college level as much as the high school football is awesome and and it is there's you know the passion of it and all that stuff is great you better love this game when you're going to play particularly at, you know at our level in the sec because there it's a it's a big commitment it's a huge commitment and um you know, we, we want guys that, that love the game of football and that, and also that, you know, that their education is important to them so that they're going to get a degree from Auburn University. And, and, and not I don't want to have to babysit guys. I don't want to have guys that, you know, you got to hold by the hand and make sure they're going to class and that sort of stuff because, you know, you're going into being from a young man into being a man. And and uh, so I want guys that have a maturity level about them that are that love the game of football and and um, and value their education, the opportunity they have to get their degree. And that are flexible. Uh, I've got uh, some toughness. Got good feet. Um, and uh, and then and then the last thing, and, and I know that uh, you know Coach McNally mentioned this as well, is that you look at length. You know, and length is not necessarily a guy's height. You like to have some guys that are, particularly on the perimeters, you know, on, on the tackle position, that have got some good height. But guys that have long arms, that have long legs, you can have a guy that's six foot four. That's not necessarily six seven, but he's got long arms. He's got good reach, and he can play tackle for you. So we do look at those aspects as well. Coach, as as you pour over the film, and I've I've tried to talk to parents about this and write about this a little too. Really deciding what you put on your film is important. What can those high school players do, and what can their coaches do? To to help them to put together a good film what things in particular help you to see okay this guy has what we're looking for well the first thing i would say is when you're putting together a highlight film is uh, uh make sure that the first three minutes of it uh, i've got some wow it's got some wow factor to it that's going to make me want to watch the rest of it because as we're you know we, we get so many films that are coming in and you know and 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 I, I like to watch a guy's highlight film, and I like to watch his game film as well, not just his highlight film. You don't just want to recruit off of a highlight film, but if if the highlight film doesn't catch my eyes, then I'm probably not going to watch the game film. And then if the highlight film uh, on the first part of it does not have some wow factor to it, where you know you're going, okay, let me, hey, I got I to watch this guy a little bit more. That's that's probably a big aspect of it as well. Now, what I would what I would do do with it is is try to highlight different aspects of your skill set. Um, point of attack blocking, blocking in space. You know, that's one thing that, uh, you know, we want to see is guys that are athletic enough that can get out and block second and third level defenders in space. Um, you know, your pass protection. And it doesn't always have to be uh, the most beautiful technique and fundamentals because that's what we get co- you know, paid to do is coach those things. You know, having a, and, and having a finisher's mentality on, on those things as well. You know, plays where you're finishing, you know. And, and uh, so I think those are all important things. And then, you know, to me, there's nothing like, though, watching the game film as well. Uh, but for me, the most important aspect of it is probably either having a guy in camp where you get a chance to work with him or, you know, at least being able to go and watch him play live and seeing, you know, what's going on in between plays, what's going on on the sidelines from a leadership aspect, you know, particularly when guy gets to be a junior and senior, you want to see that, that leadership part of it. Um, you know, as well, you know, those are all important aspects that don't necessarily show up on a, on a highlight film. So I think the number one thing, though, and I think every coach in America would agree with me on this is, you know, to have a guy in camp where you have the chance to work with him and, um, and spend some real quality time with him. That's, that's, uh, uh, you know, invaluable. So coach, we're going to shift gears here a little bit and, and put the focus back on you and the lessons and learning you had as you've, you've come through your career. So we'll take it all the way back to the beginning. What's a mistake you made as a young coach and what did you learn from it? It's a funny story. Um, one of the mistakes I made as a coach was, uh, when I was at West Virginia Wesleyan and we had, uh, we had gotten brand new jerseys, you know, for division two school, that was a big deal. So we had these brand new game jerseys and I was in charge of laundry and, um, <laughs> So I had the guys, you know, come in after the game. We had played our first game. So they come to the equipment room. They drop their stuff off. I throw the I throw the uniforms in the wash. And uh, when they got out of the wash, I put them in the dryer. And I turned the dryer on for like 20-minute cycle. And then I was going to 
come back in the morning and um, and hang everything up, you know, and because uh, I wanted to get out of there. So I wanted, I was in a rush to get out of the from doing my job, you know, <laughs> and um, so I left. Well, the, the problem was that the timer on the dryer was broken, and I didn't realize that. And the and the lo- and the jerseys dried for whatever twelve hours. 10 hours, wherever it was. So when I came back in, they were melted into oh, a no. ball and they were brand new jerseys. It's been warm once. And, um, I had to go into our head coach's office and try to explain why, you know, I had these brand new jerseys that, uh, um, that, uh, were ruined and, you know, the jerseys cost more than my salary at that moment. You know what I mean? So, right. um, uh, that was a, that was a huge mistake. And, uh, it, it, basically taught me the, uh, you know, the, the principle of, uh, doing your job well and not just, uh, don't ever assume anything. So just getting your, getting, getting done what you're supposed to get done. So that, that wasn't necessarily anything I had to do with, uh, you know, with, uh, scheme or technique or fundamentals or anything, but it was a valuable lesson nonetheless. Sure. Coach, what's the best advice you've received in your career? Early on, uh, coach Frank, Steve Frank, uh, my college coach, when, when, uh, when I decided I wanted to go and, you know, make this my profession, you know, he kind of sat me down and, and, uh, and, uh, said, you know, what's your, what's your, your, your plan B, if you, uh, you know? And I, and I said, I, I don't have a plan B right now. And he said, well, good. Cause if you're going to be a coach, you shouldn't have a plan B. You know, this is, it's a, it is a uh, profession that requires a hundred percent commitment, dedication, and, you know, because it's not always going to be easy in this profession. And so if you're not, if you're not a hundred percent committed to, you know, to the coaching lifestyle, if you will, if you don't surround yourself with a wife that understands that as well, when the hard times hit or the difficulties hit, which we've all been through, if you have a plan B, that plan B is going to start looking pretty good. Right. And um, so I've never had a really had a plan B. Coach, we're going to head to Nashville in a, in a couple of weeks here, and those lobbies are just filled with young guys looking for jobs. What advice would you give one of those guys who's looking to get into this profession and make it long term? One of the one of the old biggest keys, and uh, I just mentioned it, was just with your wife. You know, really, uh, my wife is, is a, has been my, she's, she's my wife. She's my best friend. She's my everything. Uh, she's my business partner. She is, you know, she basically, um, you know, financed my career because she had a job in uh, pharmaceutical sales that allowed me to, uh, you know, when we had two children at 30 years old, uh, her, her job allowed me to uh, take a, take a graduate assistance job at Clemson University, you know, and mm-hmm. um, so she's been every step of the way. It's been an incredible support. Uh, it's been our, you know, uh, our biggest, uh, and I say our, I'm talking about our teams I've been on, our biggest fan and supporter. She's been great with our players. Just think that it's the, uh, it's one aspect from a, um, you know, just from a coaching standpoint is making sure that you know, that, uh, that your wife is on board and that she understands the, um, you know, the, the complexities of this profession and whether it's the day to day, you know, hours that are required, whether it's the recruiting travel that's required, uh, whether it's, you know, just understanding the people aspect of it and how easily difficulties or trauma, you know, within the organization can cause you know problems that the, the head coaches don't want to deal with you know and a lot of times it it um, um because we, there's so much of it it's as you well know how hard it is to win a football game yep. you know and, and with everybody pulling the rope in the right direction in the same direction i should say and but when you you so you want to surround yourself with people that understand that and your coaches you know my wife is, has been my biggest uh, advocate and greatest asset in our in our family, you know, and so I can't impress guys how important that is. I would agree with you, Coach. It's a kind of a make it or break it deal. You know, you have to have that support, and I, I really like how you mentioned that she's your business partner because you have to look at it this way: you're investing in yourself, you're investing in the profession, starting out. I know I hear older coaches tell some of these young guys just plan on being poor for a while. And that's the absolute truth. I mean, there's so many guys who want to get into us at the at the entry level. 
you're working for almost nothing. Um, but eventually, right. if you stick with it and you do the right things and you have that support, I think it's so important. You're going to find yourself in a position where you've made it to where you want. You look back and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm here. I've reached my goals. And I did it because I had someone with me who could support all the hard times, all the difficulties and be there with me as you know, I learned and developed and grew. I think it's an important thing. Absolutely. Coach, what's a book you've learned from that you'd recommend to our listeners? I like to read a lot of the, when I have time, you know, a lot of times, again, my wife and I will go to the beach for the summer and, you know, we'll sit out in the, the sand and she likes to sit in the sun. I like to sit under an umbrella, but each of us usually has a book with us. And, uh, you know, some of the, um, the one that the last one I just read was actually recommended by LaTales Bentley. Uh, it's called Talent is Overrated, uh, which is a great book uh, that just talks about, um, and it, and it gives you some practical uh, application in terms of um, developing uh, the skills, um, specific skills, you know, um, whether it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, anecdotal, um, evidence in there talking about, you know, Tiger Woods or talking about Mozart. It's not just about, uh, you know, athletics, uh, it talks a lot. It's really, it's actually a business book, but, uh, but obviously there's so much carryover in there, but it gives a lot of practical applications in, um, in, in mastering your craft, if you will. Uh, that was, that was a great book that, uh, just recently read last, uh, this past summer. Coach, I know as you move through the career and you get to your level, the coaching clinics don't become as big and you visit with staffs. But thinking back on a time when you would go and learn at coaching clinics, what's something you took from a coaching clinic and implemented into what you do? Well, you know, I was fortunate early on uh, in, 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 um, in my career with, with West Virginia and, and uh, at the University of Tulsa. I was on the Glacier Clinic circuit for, I don't know, probably 10 years and, and heard so many great talks and, and have had, um, you know, just that, the opportunity not only to listen to the clinic talks, but some of the best stuff is when uh, you have a chance to sit down one-on-one with a guy and just uh, talk some things out. But uh, probably um, one of the one of the better uh, clinic talks that I heard, the other, I'll tell you another great clinic is the, is the cool clinic. Yeah. Uh, you know, up in uh, Cincinnati is, a, is an unbelievable clinic as well. That one, you know, for offensive linemen, obviously, it's kind of like the uh, the mecca, mm-hmm. if you will, of uh, of clinics. But uh, you know, the, one of the, one of the best clinic talks that uh, that I'd heard um, was um, Larry Bechtel talking about the wham trap, and uh, at the uh, at the cool clinic. This was probably I don't know how many years ago. This would have been 10, 12 years ago or so, and. Uh, um, I've always, uh, you know, kind of used a lot of the, those concepts, if you will, you know, try to implement those, the, the concepts into some of the things that we've done and short yardage situations. We haven't really whammed a lot of nose guards and that sort of stuff, but certainly the split zone concepts and, uh, and those sort of things can kind of stem from a lot of that wham trap stuff. Coach, what's something, a specific on-field technique scheme, maybe something you got to work against coming from you from the other side that you're excited about learning more about as you, I know you got a, another game left, but as you head into uh, the off season here. Well, the, you know, it, everything's cyclical, as you know, and, uh, you know, it seems like now we're seeing a lot more um, of the odd odds, you know, the odd front structure stuff that, uh, and, and particularly better playing with four eyes and, um, you know, and, and, and I want to spend some time looking at how people are attacking those, that specific defensive structure, you know, with the, uh, how, how are you getting a double team on a four eye, which is, is, is a challenge, yeah. you know, um, our, 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 you know, I see people reading, before eyes a lot and and we've done that in the past in some of the places i've been at just the just the kind of the detail of uh of the teaching you know uh from a scheme standpoint and those sort of things that uh i think that because of the the amount of that odd structure that we're seeing now technology has become such an important part of of what we're doing whether it's what we're using in our coaching what our players use to learn even you know some of the systems they use out on the field with music and and uh things to simulate crowd noise etc what's your favorite piece of coaching technology or something new maybe you've seen that you would like to incorporate into your workflow I'll tell you, you know, uh, we we looked a little bit at the uh, and we have the uh, the virtual uh, the Oculus stuff at, mm-hmm. at uh, uh, here at Auburn, you know, and and um, the one thing that I really liked about it uh, was 
from is looking at from a center's perspective. You know, and I think it could really help in development, you know, particularly of your young centers, you know, uh, of getting them into that headgear and letting them just stand over there and idea front, you know, call out combos, call out your protection schemes based on the front identification. Um, you know, you could take, you know, you could, if you, if you had your centers spending, uh, you know, a half hour, you know, once a week in the off season, uh, just going in and, 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 looking at different front structures and, and um, communicating that out. And because, you know, then you get into a real live situation and you've seen it before. And uh, I think that that's probably one of the, one of the, one of the cooler things that, 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 uh, that, I've, that I've seen. Yeah, we used it this past season. Uh, we t- we created what we called a simulation room. We just used an old racquetball court, put a projector in there, and then we used like the 3D portion of, of the system we were using and projected the defense against us just doing their different stunts, blitzes, etc. And, you know, we were able to get in so much more in just, a, you know, a few 15-minute sessions, let them call things out, pass off, twist coming at them, etc. Uh, it was really worthwhile. So it's, uh, from the mental standpoint, obviously, you still have to use the technique and work all those kinds of things, but it really prepared us and eliminated a lot of si- assignment mistakes. So it's the virtual reality. I know they're working on augmented reality now where you see holograms out there through goggles, etc. So it's a lot of neat stuff that I think has application uh, for a long time to come. Yeah, I, mean, I would agree. And particularly, you know, with the, the fact that you can take those reps and you're not taking a beating, you know, you're just taking the rep. And, uh, you know, it's just like uh, uh, you would in a walkthrough or anything like that where you can where you can ID things and communicate. I don't know if they have this or not. I mean, I'm, I'm not living in that world. But well, if you could ever get uh, where all five guys were lined up. And I know you said in your in your virtual reality room i guess that'd be a cool way to do it is line up your whole lineup there and have them go through the through their at least through their communication progression um you know with with front identification and and combo calls and and that sort of thing there's no question that's a that's a big time uh Asset. Yeah, we did it without, we didn't have the headsets on. We just had it projected on the wall. And it's something oh, I gotcha. uh, we were doing with a, a product called Go Army Edge. And I guess, you know, when I talked to the guy there, the, it's something that the Colts are doing. They have three screens that they're using uh, to kind of create the the effect of it being all around them. So they could look, kind of look right, left, and get the right depth perception. And then you know, set back, make their calls, set back, pass off twists, et cetera. So it was good, really good for that. Well, Joe, Joe Gilbert, you know, I think he's the assistant line coach out there at the Colts. He, he's a Hamilton college guy as well. We played together. Joe was a senior when I was a freshman. So I'll have to check it out with him sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Coach, you've, you've mentioned having that partner, you know, and, and how much that, uh, you know, a good good wife who understands all the things that a, a coach has to go through is important. Um, this next question has to deal more with balance. So as you get into all the things we have to do, and we're passionate about it, we love this game. Sometimes it's hard to walk away from the office or the, the field. You want to get more work in, but how do you strike a balance between the profession and your family, your health, your faith, all the other things that have to be important in your life? Again, I would go back to the accountability aspect of it you know and and having somebody that's going to hold you accountable to to those those as well whether it's you know you know with me it's my wife you know she uh uh, she's awesome she's not she understands the um you know the the demands of the job but you know she she's one who takes the time to come to the office on a monday night and you know, bring, bring dinner in so we could just have dinner together. And when our kids were younger, my kids are older now, you know, my, I've got a sophomore at Auburn and a freshman at Auburn and, and my youngest son's in the eighth grade. So having my two kids at Auburn is awesome. You know, is, uh, uh, you know, coaching at the place where they go to school at. So that I can see them, uh, anytime that they want to see me, you know, they, they swing by my office, uh, uh, usually at least once or twice a week to pop in and, and uh, spend a little bit of time, which is great. But my wife was the one who, when my kids were younger, you know, she was the one who brought the kids to the office to make sure we were able to have a family dinner together uh, during the season. Um, you know, she's the one that uh, uh, manages their schedules and things and keeps me on track with uh, as many activities that I could be at. 
you know, whether it was a baseball game or a, a concert or, a, you know, a, a, my, you know, if my daughter was in a play or whatever, you know, those sort of things where she would, she was the one that was the constant reminder of, Hey, we got this coming up. Let's make sure you plan for it and plan accordingly. And then, you know, um, you have to have a commitment to, to that balance because your, your life can get out of whack. There's no question about that. And my life has been out of whack at times, you know, and, and, um, you know, but you, it, sometimes it takes a reality check to get things back in order, you know, and, um, it's unfortunate, but in, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a tragedy that happens or something that just, you know, brings things back into, into perspective, you know, uh, um, Years ago, I had a, I actually had a brain hemorrhage, you know, probably 10 years ago that gave me a lot of perspective on, on life. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, there's a, there's a, there was a time where you look in the mirror and you say, Hey, am I, am I really being the, the husband and the father that I say, I want my players to be. Right. You know, that's a hard question, you know, because we all talk about how we want to develop men of character and we want to develop great husbands and great fathers and great community leaders. Well, are you are you are you demonstrating that? Are you uh, are you being a great role model in that regard um, or are you just paying a lip service? And, you know, there was a time where I had to ask those questions on myself. And I didn't necessarily like the answers I gave myself, to be honest with you. Um, and so I had to make some lifestyle changes, you know, and, and um, that's been a, that, that, but my wife has been incredibly supportive throughout all that, you know, um, mm-hmm. where there's times where, you know, I'm very thankful that, that there's times where she didn't kick me to the curb, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and, and could have done so deservedly, you know, um, based on some of the challenges and things, but. You just have to keep perspective on it, and you have to have somebody that's going to hold you accountable for it. You know, and maybe it's you know, it's uh, like you said, it might be somebody in your office that um, you know that that's been through it a little bit, and it says, "Hey, man, once you get up out of here, oh, your son's got a game tonight. Go to your son's game. You know, we can handle this right now." Right. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's certain things that's got to get done, uh, but there's also times where you know you've got to keep proper perspective on on things as well, and and um, I've been I've been on both ends of that spectrum. Coach, thanks for sharing that. That's definitely important to longevity in this career, and I'm sure uh, that'll hit home for a lot of guys. Coach, what are some concerns you have right now for the future of football, and what ideas do you have that maybe address those concerns? Uh, the obvious concern is just the uh, you know the the. Um, the, the the concussion uh, uh, situation and managing that and I think you know we're trying to address it as a as a profession as a as a sport you know we I think everybody understands the challenges uh, and the and and understands the concerns about it you know and just uh, the teaching aspect of it and you know trying to make sure that that people are using. Uh, you know, great technique and fundamentals that are going to keep keep them safe and are going to keep our game safe. Um, you know, the, the game is it is a it is a physical, violent, fast game, and there's a lot of games like that. Hockey's like that. Uh, you know, the, there's, there's <laughs> football's not just the only one that 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 has is, is a collision sport. You know, it's not a contact sport; it's a collision sport. And um, but we have to, we've got to you know continue to harp on and teach proper technique and fundamentals and you know and it, it starts at at the at the grassroots level you know and and uh, whether that's when a kid starts playing if he's in high school or or in junior high or some of the youth football leagues you know i just think that it's so important that we that we're all in one accord as a as an industry as a coaching industry um as to how important uh you know, proper technique and, and teaching safe fundamentals are to the to the future of our game. Coach, here's the last question. What's one thing you'd point to as giving your team, your unit, the winning edge? Those things, you, you want to have a uh, um, um, that culture that we talked about earlier. You want to develop those into your core culture, you know, and every year is a little bit different. You know, you can have your core values that you want uh, your organization to be known for. Um, and, but every year because of the people that are, there's people involved, you know? And so, uh, even though you have the, those core values of your culture, the biggest aspect in my, in my opinion is the, is the year to year chemistry of your team. You know, there's been a lot of times 
where you know, I go back to 1995, right? So 1995 at Glenville State, we had awesome uh, defense, man. We just uh, we had a great team, and I was coaching defense at that time. And our defensive line coach, uh, at the end of the year, we had our team photo done, and we made a little plaque on the bottom of it, and it said uh, like 1995 WVIAC champions. Uh, and then in quotation marks, we put on there a fun year because it was just a lot of fun to coach those guys. And that was a team that you would like to coach every year, you know, right. and in college football and in, in high school football, and even in professional levels now, because of, you know, the, the amount of movement that you have, you don't have every team changes every year. You know, it's, it's that, that it's that specific team. So the, you want the chemistry to be right, you know, and you want it to be a fun year. You want to enjoy coming in and working with those guys every day. And, and I'll be honest with you, there's been years where we've had, you know, great records, um, but not necessarily a lot of fun coaching. And that's, that's just being honest, you know? And, uh, and then there's other years where you look at it and you go, man, I wish I had that team every year. I would coach those group of guys, you know, because you just love it that much. You love those guys. You love the chemistry. Um, so I like to use the term and it's not my term. Obviously it's been around for however long, but, uh, you know, the, the, in the, in the military, the Marines that talk about a spirit de corps, you know, it's, it's the spirit that is amongst your, amongst your core of men, amongst your, amongst your unit, you know, and that, and that one accord, that one heartbeat, um, you know, playing, playing for each other and, and, um, developing that but uh for for us at Auburn this year you know we've had tremendous chemistry on our team and it started with our senior leadership and um you know and I, and, and I think our senior group this year has really set a, a strong foundation that um our younger guys are going to be able to uh build on and they set a standard for uh for leadership because you know this was a this was a year where we had to overcome some adversity and and um you know we we had a we had a we had a tough beginning and we had a, a real good middle and then we kind of had a tough uh ending you know with with uh with the challenges that everybody has as a football team as you as you're winding up a season you know and a long year and that and our our seniors man they never batted an eye they never they never they didn't flinch they didn't blink and um you know i think that they've set a standard for for uh, the rest of our program for the years to come. So chemistry this year has been our, our winning edge. Coach, how can our listeners connect with you? The best way is on, is on Twitter. Uh, it's at Coach Hand on Twitter. Um, that's probably, you know, it's from a social media aspect. That's where we're at my comfort zone. That's my wheelhouse. So, <laughs> well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was uh, awesome hearing from you, and uh, there was there's definitely a lot here for our listeners to uh, to chew on and and I think learn from. Really uh, appreciate what you do, Coach. Being out there on social media, you share a lot. I know it's important to uh, the guys constantly trying to learn this game. So, thank you for that as well, and good luck here against Oklahoma on January 2nd. I appreciate it, uh, Coach. And I appreciate everything that you've, you're doing with this podcast. I think it's a it's a great concept. And, you know, I look forward to uh, listening to uh, all the guys you got coming up. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes, whether you are playing this fall or later this spring. We have some things you're going to want to listen to. Check out what we're doing on Twitter with the Your Call, which we have up there daily, your chance to make a call or a play from a game, an actual formation situation from a real game. We reveal that the next day. Follow that at, at Coach K. Grabowski on Twitter. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes and give a rate or review. It really helps.